0: Father, thank you that uh, we have your word so readily accessible to us and that uh, you want to speak to us this morning through the words of the scriptures as your Holy Spirit unpacks for us, reveals to us the truth um, embedded in them. And so you open our hearts, we pray. Open our minds to receive what you would have for us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Christine.
1: Our scripture reading for this morning is from the book of John, chapter 4, verses 27 to 42. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything ever I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the work, the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, They urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man is really the savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord.
0: So we've been in a, a, just a four-part series called uh, Apprentices and looking at what it meant for a disciple of a rabbi back in the first century. Uh, a disciple was someone who was to be with their rabbi, become like their rabbi, and then eventually do what their rabbi did. The rabbi would say, now you go and make disciples. They would like become like the rabbi and do what they did. And so to be in, in a, a more common term of our day, apprentices or trainees or learners, students of Jesus. uh, We are to be with Jesus, become like Jesus and do what Jesus did. Uh, This is a a list um, I'm going to put on the screen of of what Jesus did in a nutshell. Um, Preaching the gospel, teaching the way, healing the sick, casting out demons, prayer, prophecy, doing justice, eating with people far from God, Fighting religious hypocrisy and speaking truth to power. I shared that in the first week. I'm wondering, um, any of you feel overwhelmed by that list? Yeah, um, it's kind of scary, right? Oh, I'm thinking, like, hey, where are we even going to start with that? If we're supposed to do what Jesus did, and this is that, that's that's full on. Before we consider though, what's behind all this, and what actually all of this points to? Um, let's think about. I want to think about Paul. Uh, sorry, not Paul. Tim's message last Sunday. So Tim, uh, P.S. was it was our guest speaker on the screen last Sunday, and, and he talked about surrender, a life of surrender, of spiritual depth in relationship with God, and a life of sacrifice. Surrender, spiritual depth, depth, sacrifice. And this, of course, is Jesus. This this was his life. This is his way. This is his character. This was how Jesus lived. Um, this life of surrender and spiritual depth and sap- sacrifice, of course, leads to the fruit of the Spirit. That the, the, the produce of that kind of life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, uh, self control. I think I missed one there. Um, and Galatians 5 said that, says that this fruit comes when we not try to do them, but when we walk in the Spirit. When we walk, when we keep in step with the Spirit, then we see this fruit of our life uh, comes about. Tim also said this. He said, "Whatever we surrender—see if you remember—whatever we surrender, God." And remember, God fills. Whatever we surrender, God fills. When we surrender, when we spiritually deep in our relationship when we when we live a life of sacrifice god fills us with his his spirit his life his presence and and then this fruit is produced that's the overflow of our lives but i guess the question for today as we think about what did jesus do is does it stop there does it just stop with a life of surrender, spiritual depth, sacrifice, and, and, then, and then the fruit of the Spirit coming from that, and then that's, that's the produce of our life? Or, or does it go even further to, to living out what Jesus actually did, not just what he was like? John chapter 4, verses 27 to 42, which we just read, the context of this passage that Christine read is the woman at the well. Right? So the, the, the Samaritan woman who Jesus comes to and says, hey, could you give me a drink? And then the conversation goes a little deeper eventually to, you know, I can give you living water, a source of life that will never run dry. And uh, so it starts simply, it goes deep quite quickly. And, and then from there, he talks to his disciples about harvesting of all things. And there's this verse in the middle that says this, even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Many have debated what is meant by this? What is the harvest, the fruit, the produce? Um, it would be one way of looking at it to say it's the fruit of the Spirit, the produce of, of the character that forms as we become, seek to become more like Jesus as we hang out with Him. But Have a look at another um, one of the Gospels, Mark chapter four, where Jesus tells this story—a parable, a story to illustrate a point—and it's the only one of the parables that Jesus unpacks for his disciples. All the rest, they've got to work it out, work the meaning out for themselves. This one, he exegetes or unpacks for them, and he says this: others. Like seed sown on good soil, remember there was different types of soils in the parable, and this the good soil, they hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some thirty, some sixty, some a hundred times what was sown. I think it's difficult to consider the harvest that Jesus was talking about. The produce, the fruit, as just being, that he was just talking about good character, like the fruit of the Spirit, likeness to Jesus. An essential part of discipleship, or if you like, apprenticeship or learning and training under Jesus, is absolutely becoming like him and the fruit of your life looking like the fruit of his life. But then it moves from being with Jesus to becoming like Jesus to doing what he did. And what Jesus did at the core was made disciples. He made disciples. And a a rabbi, a, a disciple would train under a rabbi, and eventually this is what the rabbi would say to a disciple in that context. Now you go and make disciples like I have, like you have been my disciple. And, and what Jesus seems to be saying is that when we become disciples, we should see a 30, 60, or even 100-fold return of more disciples. Now, that's a little scary, right? Anybody feel that's a, like that's a big expectation? That's quite challenging. To Oh my goodness, so I, got to, there's going to be like 30, 60, 100? More disciples produced from the fruit of my life because Jesus has saved me, and I can't sometimes even get into my, get the kids in the car without having a meltdown, right? And that's just me, let alone the kids having a meltdown. How am I going to somehow people who aren't even in my family and others? How am I going to make disciples and lead them to G? A hundred, a hundredfold, really, God? It can feel like this huge, scary expectation or burden on our shoulders. What I hope this morning we will see, though, is that it can actually be quite exciting, freeing, if we look at it from a certain perspective... And it's not only, that it's not only going to be life-giving to somebody who might hear the gospel and, and come into the family of Jesus through me, but it's going to be life-giving to me as well if I see a 30, 60, 100-fold return of disciples come from my life as a disciple. Again, something Tim said last week is that whatever we surrender, God fills. So if we are like buckets... Where's my bucket gone? If we are like buckets, um, being Jesus' disciple first is about emptying all of the stuff out of the bucket of our life that's going to get in the way from the Holy Spirit filling us, right? So there's all sorts of stuff we need to let go of and give over to God and, and take away as idols that we worship and all that kind of thing. Um, and so then as the Holy Spirit pours His life into us, the overflow of that life is the fruit of the spirit, right? So you got love, joy, peace, and patience. It all starts to to come out as there is overflow. I should have got a bucket with a handle because that's really heavy to to to, to hold. Let, let me let me do it this way, right? But we want to see that overflow in our life of all the fruit of the spirit, and this can have a tremendous impact on people because if I can get my volunteers now, if others happen to be walking. Or, you know, going by me in life and holding out their buckets. And if they're open like good soil, soft soil, hang on a sec, guys, I'm going get to get another big jug. Um, but there will be a little bit of spillage this morning. Then they might catch a little bit of it. And that's the life of the Spirit, the life of God flowing out of me as I empty myself and allow God to fill what I surrender. And then they catch a little bit. But let me ask you a question. Thanks, guys. What's happening... To a whole lot of Jesus, a whole lot of God's presence, as it overflows. Even if these guys are really wanting to soak it in, what's happening to a whole lot of God's spirit being poured into me? It's it's kind of chaotic. It's it's a little bit messy. It's a bit inconsistent as to whether it's being caught by others. You might even say it's being wasted. Now, any metaphor is flawed, of course. And so um, what I'm not suggesting is that your surrender and your sacrifice, and you're going spiritually deep and being filled with it, and, and then that, that overflowing from your life is, is never wasted, of course. But I do think that Jesus has so much more for us than, than just some of the overflow of his spirit into our life Than being caught by others as they happen to walk by and happen to have open hands ready to receive. What if instead of it just being chance and, and a bit of luck and a bit of hopefully it's caught by others, what if instead of being buckets, we were actually conduits? And instead of it just kind of overflowing and some going there and some maybe some being picked up by others, if one of you could just bring your bucket back over, what if instead all that God pours into me is caught by the person who I'm directing that life to? Because instead of a bucket, I'm a conduit. Nothing is wasted. How would this happen? How would we be conduits instead of just buckets? Let's look at the Samaritan woman. Jesus saw in the Samaritan woman someone who was ready to receive living water. It started casual, this, this conversation of, 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 you know, can you give me a drink, please? But it, it quickly moved from there. And, and she was not only ready to receive what Jesus had to offer, but ready to take it to her whole town. What I love that verse 42 says, though, is this, that that after the Samaritan, she shared her story with, if you know the story, she runs back into the town, she tells people about this man who told me everything everything that ever happened in my life. Um, and, And then it says this, they said to the woman, this is the other Samaritans in her town, they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said, now we have heard for ourselves. Catch that! We no longer believe just because of what you told us. We have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. So what she did not have to be was this, this fount of living water where she just overflowed and Jesus was so present in her that, that others caught it. All she had to do was be a conduit and carry it just for a little while. This beautiful message of hope and of life—that there is one who is an endless supply—and I know Jesus is running out here right now, but no, he never, he he never runs out. She just had to carry it a little while, because what happened then? They got a taste, and then they went straight to the source. We no longer believe just because of what you told us. You carried the message for a little while, but now we have seen and tasted. And heard for ourselves. Now she personally, did did she personally lead 30 or 60 or 100 people to Jesus? Like like did she pray the sinner's prayer with with 100 people right there? No. But the, the end result of her being a conduit was at least this 30, 60 or 100 fold return. Because she was a conduit. So often when I think about my responsibility and my calling to make disciples, a calling that we all have, I think that's, that's really hard. That's, that's such a huge responsibility. And I have a hard enough time just you know, surrendering to God, you know, what, is, what is the idols and the stuff in my life so that the bucket is empty enough that he might then fill me enough with his Holy Spirit, and uh, let alone that overflowing so that others might catch some of what Jesus is doing in me. But that's because too often I see myself as a bucket, not as a conduit and and i just i'm hoping that some of jesus will sort of spurt out and then and then i hope for the best so how instead do we become conduits not just buckets i would suggest that we do what jesus did and this is what jesus did he looked for and intentionally poured into people of peace people of peace now Um, Some of you may have heard that term because I've said it before. Someone around here has used that term before. Or you've read Luke chapter 9 and 10 and your particular translation uses that term. Some of your translations of Luke chapter 9 and 10 will say the man of peace. But essentially what Jesus is talking about is he he trains his disciples, go into the town, say peace be upon you to the uh, household, for example. And if that blessing returns to you, then... Stay with them, eat their food, accept their hospitality because they, they are open to relationship with you. And to summarise it, what Jesus is really talking about is someone who likes you, like they just want to be with you. They're not like, uh, you, know, that you don't keep calling up saying, hey, do you want to hang out? And they tell you you're busy. They're busy, right? They like you. They listen to you. They actually want to hear what you have to say. And they're willing to serve you. In other words, they'll provide hospitality. They'll help you with providing hospitality. They're willing to help to serve you. That is essentially what a person of peace is. Somebody once put it this way. Openness to relationship with you is the beginning of openness to relationship with Jesus in you. So we're just looking for someone who wants to be with you, likes you, listens to you, serves you. And to use the language of harvest, this might—you might you might say this is someone who is Ripe. Now, it sounds a bit wrong to talk about a human being as someone who's ripe for the picking, right? That's, it sounds like we shouldn't be saying that, but in just to use the analogy of, of harvesting and fruit, someone who's open, who's ready, who, who, um, who is, if they're like a bucket, like they're open. If they're like soil, they're, like, they're soft. They're, they're ready and willing um, to receive some of just, even just a, a low-level relationship, friendship with yourself. And Jesus called these people, people of peace. Let me ask you a question. If everyone that you tried to show the love of Jesus to was guaranteed to accept the message of the gospel, like if you, if you were to say, I just want you to know Jesus loves you, um, you um, because of the fact that all of us have sinned and fought of the glory of God. Um, you, you're separated from God eternally, but Jesus came and died in your place so that if you accept him by faith, he will save you, redeem you, sanctify you, and you'll get to be with God in his presence forever as part of God's amazing, huge family. And, and it was just guaranteed that whoever you said that to would accept it. If that was the case, do you think you would be more confident in sharing your faith with people? I know I would because my biggest fear is rejection, right? That if, if, if I start to share the faith with someone, oh boy, he really is weird after all. It's just taken us this, this long to work it out. And then, you know, or you're trying to build a relationship with someone, you try, try to start bringing up Jesus and they're like, oh, didn't know you were that, you know, and then, then, then they kind of drift off. That's my fear. And let's be clear, that's, that's a sin problem. That's a selfishness problem of caring more about my feelings than their eternity, But if if everyone was just guaranteed that they would just go, wow, never heard that before? Yep, I'm in. I think we would be a little bit more confident. Here's the thing. Jesus said it's possible, in fact, advisable, is what he trained his disciples in, to identify people who will most likely accept the message. I hadn't heard this until many years ago, and it just blew my mind. What? Hang on a second. Jesus has a strategy for this? <laughs> well, who shouldn't surprise us, should it? And, and this Luke chapter 9 and 10, have a read of it. They like, you know, someone who likes you, listens to you, serves you. And if we can successfully identify these people, we can have a far greater confidence that God will use us as his conduit for his life to flow, his presence, his spirit to flow threw us into them, that eventually they too would find life in him. How then do we find people of peace? How do we identify who these people are? First of all, we've got to be looking, right? We've got to have our eyes open. And when we, when we feel like there's just this burden, that we've got to be buckets overflowing, and hopefully someone will just come by and one day say, hey, can you pray the sinner's prayer with me? We might not necessarily be looking for people who are actually people of peace. So we've got to open our eyes and go, who are these people? Karen and I recently did a neighbourhood party just for this reason. Pretty much just to go, not go, oh, who can we slam with, with the Bible today, Lord? Who, who wants to hang out with us, God? Who's just, who just seems to maybe like us, for, for better or for worse? Who, who might listen to us? Who actually wants to come and help serve to do this party thing? Um, a couple of weeks ago, Josh Hall, I don't think Josh and Lisa are here this morning, but Josh Hall came to me and was telling me about Hugh the Bear, anybody heard about Hugh the bear? I forgot to put a photo up, but Hugh is just a big, beautiful teddy bear who sits on their front lawn quite often. At the moment, there's a Christmas tree next to Hugh, and Hugh is decorating the Christmas tree and leaving notes out the front saying, can you please help me reach the top? (laughs) Stuff like that. And this is what Josh and Elise had done, and Josh came to me and said, we're just doing this to connect with our neighbours and to meet people and build relationships, which is happening. He said, you know, Christmas is coming. We want to you know, use it as an opportunity to gently and sensitively share God's love because it's just a great time for that. People tend to be a little bit more open to that. How do you think we should do this, Luke? Like what's the right balance? And, you know, and honestly, I don't, I don't think there's a right answer. But what I did say and what I would say for anything like this is just look for the people who seem a little bit more open. Look for the people who actually want to come and help Hugh decorate the tree and want to come and sing carols alongside Hugh, um, you know, that, that aren't just Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Look for the people who just are a little bit open. And all we're really doing there is looking for people who are willing to engage in casual relations, uh, uh, um, uh, conversation just to hang out. Do they like us? Do they listen to us? Do they want to, seem to want to serve? Nothing super deep about it. But then from there, um, is the depth of conversation actually shifting a little bit? Because if it's not going from anywhere from just talking about the weather, then, well, maybe, maybe that's, that's okay. But they're probably not really people of peace. But is it shifting from casual to meaningful? A couple of weeks ago, Yoi was sharing with me, If you don't mind me sharing this, Yoi. Yoi was sharing that some people in his and Anita's life just are, are really in that phase. They're having some good, rich conversations about struggles and about family and about stuff going on in their life. Not talking about Jesus or anything like that yet, but they just seem to be people of peace, to use that terminology, because there's some really meaningful stuff going on. And then last Sunday... This was after a long day of leadership team retreat and then a couple, a number of hours on Saturday night. I'm in the office early and Yoi bounds in and he's so excited. What's going on, Yoi? He goes, last night, these friends of his turned the corner from meaningful to spiritual because they know that Yoi and Anita are Christians. They know that this is, means so much to them. This is them. This is their life. And eventually, these people... Were those people of peace? And they said, we want to talk about God. And it didn't mean that it didn't need some prodding and some uh, some pushing at, at times gently, but they turned the corner to spiritual. I remember then a couple, about five or six years ago, when this process, I didn't have this language or not, people of peace or anything, but I, this, this was happening quite naturally with somebody who I met. And at first it was casual conversation and it turned meaningful talking about our families and things going on. And then... You he knew I was a Christian, you know, hey, I, I, I sort of know some stuff about this, but can we talk about it? And we're having a coffee one day and we're talking about Jesus, about God, about the gospel. It's all happening. And I said, you know what, I, I think you need to discover Jesus for you. So I don't think I said it that way at the time. I think we talked about stepping over the line. But ultimately, and it was not about, oh, you know, you're ready to pray a prayer. It was about, you know what, mate, I think it's time that you need to make a choice in your time when you're ready but to discover Jesus for yourself. And this is where people of peace will ultimately get to, is discovery of Jesus for themselves. Whether that be reading the Bible with them and then seeing God's words speak, you know, God speak through his word to them, or whether that be mean for this particular mate of mine, it was just one day it all clicked and he felt the Holy Spirit and, he said, God, I need to give my life to you. Now, let me ask you a question. Is this not a whole lot less scary and more doable than trying to be a bucket and just hoping that people will walk by and get a little bit of what Jesus said and go, oh, please play this pray the sinner's prayer with me. Is this not a whole lot more easier because we're intentionally, like conduits, pouring our life into the people who God is showing us are open and receptive? and then god does the work let's not be let's be clear the holy spirit is the one who moves someone around in this process as we are faithful to what god is doing in our lives and just sharing what god is doing in our lives and it's actually discipleship towards faith now some of you just Hang on a second. We're talking about evangelism here, Luke. Discipleship happens after they give their lives to Jesus. And now what's a discipleship? No, no, no. Discipleship towards faith. Because here's the beautiful and powerful thing about this. The goal is not to make converts. Now, when I first heard someone say that, oh, hang on a second, hang on a second. No, 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 no. what did you say? But then, but then the clarification. The goal is not to make converts. The goal is to make multiplying disciples. Because here's the beautiful thing. What happens when the person gets to this point? What are they then able to do? What, what is this person then able to do? Now that they have the spirit of Jesus in them. The same thing. The same thing. And it's not hard. It's just what Jesus said we ought to do. There is one hard truth in all of this that some of you may have picked up already. Some people, people very, very close to us even, even family members, won't be people of peace to us. There'll be some people we deeply care about and they might might like us and they might serve us, but they might not be people of peace tim who preached last week shared this with our team about an experience of his that he's got this best mate can't remember what his name is and his best mate loves him he he will do anything for him he will serve him till the cows come home but unfortunately this mate of his doesn't let tim ever get a word in because he talks too much and so he doesn't actually listen to tim and so unfortunately he's not a people person of peace to tim Does that mean Tim prays for him that he would become? Of course. Does that mean Tim really prays for him and wants to share the gospel? Of course, but he's not a person of peace. On the other hand, Tim was sharing with our team about how his wife had gotten to know this neighbor across the road from them, who Tim described as a fire-breathing atheist. However, this fire-breathing atheist friend um, was exhibiting all of these qualities that she began to really like tim's wife like just wanted to hang out and was listening to the stuff she said and and was willing to was willing to do anything for her bring food offer hospitality and so gradually things started to shift from a casual conversation you know oh, i'm happy to get to know you just don't talk to me about god and church being hurt too much by that you know it's funny how atheists think god is evil um anyway <laughs> um but then it started to shift to meaningful and then eventually to hey maybe I will let you pray for me and then eventually too, well, maybe we can pray together and she's discovering Jesus for herself. The reality is though that when someone we love and care about deeply is not a person of peace to us, it can be heartbreaking. But here's the good news in this. What does Jesus say? One sows and another reaps. And so this doesn't mean we just keep jumping back to being buckets and saying, oh, I'm not an evangelist. I'll just kind of sit in my patch." No, it means that Sometimes the people we love most dearly are only going to be people of peace to somebody else. And we ought to be praying for them that God would open up those opportunities. And we don't know why that is. There's a whole host of reasons. But this is, here's the beauty of all of that. Imagine um, your, where you live and imagine a map of your own estate or your, 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 um, your suburb that you live in what happens if we are just buckets and we've got our little patch of land on our little plot where we live and we're just buckets and we're letting God pour into our lives, what happens? We just get soggy lawns, right? That's about it in our patch of land. But what happens if we truly are Conduits of the Holy Spirit. We identify people of peace, maybe neighbors, maybe someone a little bit further down, and we pour the life of Jesus that we are receiving into their life. We allow the Holy Spirit to do His work. We don't just get soggy lawns anymore. What we end up getting, and this is where we live, we're just there, we begin to get this happen a pipeline of the Holy Spirit doing his thing and notice i've just drawn a line not from me and from me and from me and then from here and then you know that we are trying to convert the whole region or anything like that but that as these people find life in jesus and discover jesus for themselves then God opens up a person of peace for them. And then that person finds Jesus and God opens up the door to share the gospel with a person of peace for them. And then we have this pipeline all across our region of people who are sharing the wonderful good news of Jesus. And that, friends, is how we will see the kingdom of God come in this place. That is how we will see the family of God brought to life That is how we will see transformation in our communities, our vision as a church, that we are a pipeline of conduits, seeing people come to God because the Holy Spirit is working in our lives and the Holy Spirit is working in their lives and we just go, God, bring the two together. And so my question for you this morning is, who in your life do you have casual conversation with but you sense maybe it can become a little more meaningful? Who do you relate with on a bit of a deeper level already? that's meaningful, but maybe they wouldn't run away if, if conversation towards God and towards Jesus starts to come in. Whatever the stage that you're in, who might the Holy Spirit be showing you is a person of peace, even though you didn't expect it? And I did miss this point earlier, that often it's not who we expect. The Samaritan woman was not the obvious choice for Jesus. A Samaritan, despised by the Jews, a woman, a sinner. None of them would have picked that this was the person Jesus would see was open to the good news. And yet Jesus knew because he was in tune with the Holy Spirit, this woman is ready. For me and Karen, we, we had this neighborhood party three or four weeks ago and we're just looking, God, who is it? And we let a box drop that thing right down to the bottom of you know, our area, right? Right? trying to get as many people as we could there. You know who it ended up turning out to be, who we realized at the end of that really just liked us, listened to us, wanted to serve us? The person next door. (laughs) Thank you, God. Didn't see that. Thank you, you've shown us now. And so my commitment to you today is that, you know, this isn't something I'll preach about once and then we'll forget about. This is something our team is committed to living out is committed to living this out long-term. And I ask you to pray for me as the next-door neighbor. We just get to know them some more. Our kids are going to school together next year. You know, Pray for me and, and we'll be praying for you. God, show us who it is, a neighbor, a colleague, a family member, who you have placed in our lives, that you are allowing us to be a conduit of the presence and life of God towards, that you would fill them with living water as you're filling us with living water this life abundant that Jesus offers. And so, Father, I pray this now that you would show us who it is in our life. Lord, we might not expect to hear a certain name or a certain to, to see a certain family pop into our mind, but it is your Holy Spirit who shows us what, what you are, are doing in our lives and what you are doing in their lives. And so, Father, we need your insight. We need the eyes of the Spirit to see who it is you've placed in our lives, that we've not we've not uh, seen until this point, is is open to relationship with us and therefore possibly open to relationship with Jesus in us. Show us, Lord, as we recognise that you are establishing your kingdom on this earth. We pray, Father, that you would do it through us. Do it through us, Lord, one person at a time. That we would see not just converts, but multiplying disciples for your glory and for your name's sake.